You're listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, offered on the fifth Sunday in Lent, March 29th, 2020, in the context of our online liturgy. And may only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Now, I have to confess that there are aspects of this gospel story of the raising of Lazarus that have long left me wondering. This year, as our city is quite closed down, our Lenten liturgies limited to live streaming and podcasting, all of us feeling vulnerable in a time of pandemic, news from so many parts of the world on just how devastating things have become, the story becomes for me just a little more difficult. Why, you might ask? It's a story of the conquering of death. And isn't that great good news in a time such as this? Well, sure. As Robert Capon once quipped, Jesus never met a corpse who didn't sit up and pay attention right then and there. Jesus' friend Lazarus had fallen seriously ill. Jesus is summoned by his sisters Mary and Martha. When he arrives and finds that Lazarus has in fact died, he cries out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And sure enough, the dead man is resuscitated and will live to see another day. It's in the resurrection story, by the way. For someone who has been resurrected would not grow old or get ill again and die. Resurrected life is what Jesus alone knows. Resurrected life is the promise for us in the culmination of all time and history. Lazarus is raised. He's resuscitated, restored. But he did eventually die in circumstances unknown to us. But even that's a good news story, right? Whatever it was that made Lazarus ill and ended his life could simply not stand up in the presence of Jesus, who is, as he says to Martha, himself the resurrection and the life. Still, there is this aspect of the story I can't entirely get my head around. After having heard that Lazarus was ill, Jesus stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Jesus stayed on those two days, John tells us, because he knew that this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. John says quite clearly that Jesus stayed put even though he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. I'd so much rather that he'd set out toward Bethany right then and there, wouldn't you? Just think of all the times that someone comes to him with a request for help, for healing, for life itself, and Jesus just gets up and goes to their home. He offers life to a dying child or even to that centurion's servant. Now with this family he loves and who have befriended him, he delays. What was Jesus doing, asks N.T. Wright. What was Jesus doing from the rest of the story? I think we can tell. He was praying 
He was wrestling with the Father's will. The time of waiting was vital, exploring the Father's will in that intimacy and union of which he often spoke. Only then would he act, not in the way Mary and Martha had wanted him to do, but in a manner beyond their wildest dreams. So says Bishop Wright. Okay, maybe that's helpful so far as it goes. In John's understanding, it is the intimate union between Jesus and the Father that is just so central. It is what makes Jesus who he is, and in turn, it is what will make his people, including us, what we are meant to be. So after two days, he departs for Bethany with his disciples cautioning him that it is dangerous to go because the Judeans have already threatened him with death. Let us also go, Thomas says somewhat morosely, let us also go that we may die with him. Hmm. They arrive. Jesus is met first by Martha, who comes out to meet him with first a challenge. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then with an expression of hope. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. After that brief exchange in which Jesus assures Martha that God is about to act through him, they go toward the tomb where the dead man's body has been placed. And now Jesus is met by Mary, the other sister, who drops to her knees and repeats the words of challenge that her sister has just uttered, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. She's weeping. They're all weeping. And it evokes in Jesus a most extraordinary response. John says, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. You can almost imagine his body shuddering, his very spirit writhing as his tears begin to flow. Jesus began to weep. Now here, N.T. Wright is insistent. When we look at Jesus... Not least when we look at Jesus in tears, we are seeing not just a flesh and blood human being, but the Word made flesh. The Word through whom the worlds were made weeps like a baby at the grave of his friend. Only when we stop and ponder this will we understand the full mystery of John's gospel. Only when we put away our high and dry pictures of who God is, and replace them with pictures in which the Word, who is God, can cry with the world's crying, will we discover what the word God really means. Still, with all due respect to so great a biblical commentator as Bishop N.T. Wright, I do wonder if the flesh and blood human Jesus is also confronting just how painful it is to act only once that clarity of action has come to him through his intimate union of God. As he confronts the agony of grief in the faces and the tears and the wailings of those two sisters who've befriended him, 
Is his shuddering spirit responding to all that they've gone through as he chose this path of delaying for two days? We can't possibly know, of course. We can know that he wept. We can take solace in the truth of those tears. We can know that because Jesus wept, God weeps with the world's crying, even or especially now. We can know that Jesus never met a corpse that didn't sit up and pay attention right then and there, Lazarus notably among them. We can know that in Jesus, death does not have the final word. And yet in my heart of hearts, I'd much sooner he had not tarried those two days. And that all of those spilt tears and aching hearts had been spared. Now, just a couple of weeks into this physical distancing, closing down of so much of what makes our lives familiar, including being able to gather here in this place as a full community. Well, I hope that God's holy and healing spirit will not tarry too long. Thankful for all of the work being done by all of those staff in hospitals, for the research scientists laboring so hard to find a cure or a vaccine, for people working in grocery stores and in other essential services, so thankful and hopeful that maybe here in this province and this city we are acting in ways that might truly slow and limit the spread of this virus, all the while mourning the depth of the loss in places like New York City and Italy, Iran, and China, in all of those things, I do take solace in the knowledge that Christ weeps with us. But Lord God, give to this world the leaders and caregivers and researchers we most need and teach us what we most need to learn. Too many are weeping. Too many are growing weary, and Lord, we need your touch. Weep with us, Lord Jesus, but raise us up. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. During these times of the COVID-19 pandemic, we are gathering as a small group in the church offering a simple liturgy of word and music, and we'll continue to do so as best we can. For more information on St. Benedict's Table, please consult the show notes or visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. Thanks for listening.